The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. And what a team. You know what I'm saying, folks? What a team, huh? What a team. The Chris and the Monty Man. <laughs> it is good to be with you. Yes, indeedy, it certainly is, because it is a great day to be sober and or clean. Uh, and what a privilege to have uh, Chris Schroeder, really one of the, the most sought-after uh, speakers and uh, educators on uh, the uh, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, in the nation, I believe. And just... Uh, Besides being just a great friend, uh, folks, uh, listen closely to these shows because I will tell you what. I believe, just like I believe the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was uh, truly inspired by our creator, I believe that God speaks through Chris in these shows. And I know that if you listen closely and if you know what, if you don't listen real close, you can go back and play it again. And uh, get a piece of paper out, get your big book. If you don't have one, get a hold of one and uh, take some notes and then pass this thing on. Um, you are going to be able to um, purchase either downloads of uh, MB3 downloads or the MP3 slash DVD of uh, this series uh, here really, really, really soon. Uh, so you want to remember that. We'll let you know. The best way to find out when that's going to happen is by subscribing to our daily show updates and newsletter. Uh, if you go to Take12Radio.com, down to the uh, lower left-hand side towards the bottom, it says uh, subscribe to updates, I believe. Just click on that, and that'll tell you all the shows every day and so forth and so on. Uh, before we get into today's uh, walking through the big book, though, I, I must pause to uh, tell you about the 75th year um, celebration and anniversary of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and the International Convention of Alcoholics Anonymous. The theme, A Vision for You. And this year it'll be in San Antonio. And uh, it is going to be at the, well, it's going to be in several uh, convention buildings and so forth because there's so much stuff going on. Um, but Friday and Saturday, most of it's going to be at the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center and the Grand Hyatt in San Antonio. Uh, for more information on this, you can go to our website and go to the links. Um, also, if you're a subscriber, there's there's a link there on our newsletter, too, um, that you can download the registration information, the PDF for that. Uh, you don't want to miss this thing if, if you can get to it. 
they're looking at approximately ninety-five to a hundred thousand participants. Uh, it's going to be big deals, really big deals. Mark Lundholm, uh, our favorite recovery comedian and good friend of Take Twelve Radio, uh, he will be uh, doing a lot of the emceeing and doing a lot of the shows. The guy is uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal recovery comedian, and many other entertainers that are really drenched in recovery, just like you and I. So you don't want to miss out on that thing. Uh, July 1st through the 4th in San Antonio, Texas. And if you want some more information, I'd be glad to talk with you. Just call us here at 541-926-5806. And uh, we'll get down to the down and dirty on the 75 years of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous 2010 International Convention. I'm excited about that. We're going to have a booth there, and we're going to be interviewing perhaps you. So don't don't miss out. Check it out. All right. <clears throat> Today on the show, of course, is always Chris Schroeder. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Great, Monty. How are you? Uh, I'm doing much, much better. We, have, uh, we were absent for uh, a couple of weeks because of this crazy bronchial infection. Um, but, you know, hey... In recovery, we get sick sometimes, and that's just the way that goes. But we, we don't medicate over it and go get a smoke a bowl full. Like a, I remember, Chris, one time, <laughs> I had the flu so bad. Me and, and, and my college roommate and I, now this is in Bible college, mind you, and we decided that we had it for like a week. We decided that we were going to kill the flu virus by drinking a quart of Wild Turkey 101 apiece. How'd that work? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, not too good. <laughs> we couldn't find the bottles the next day. We thought perhaps we ate them. Uh, oh, we, no. we went out to a restaurant and ordered coffee, uh, and the coffee tasted like whiskey. Uh, and the waitress said, can I get you guys a drink? <laughs> it was like, that was the devil himself. I mean, it was like, no way. Um, but you know, I've got a story for you, Monty. Uh, yeah. One of the one of the jobs I had many many years ago, uh, I, I was I was down at uh, the Rutgers and, and I was working at Rutgers, and one of the things we were doing was we were excavating a building, and this building used to house it was like a staging area area for World War Two mm-hmm. uh, troop troop movement. So they had they stored a lot of things in these big Quonset huts, and we were breaking up a foundation of the Quonset hut to, to put some footings in for a new building. And we came across all these old medications. It, 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 it used to be a pharmacy for, uh, for, for the people in the Army in, in the mid-40s, mid-early yeah. 40s. And we came across all these old filled bottles of prescription medication. And I came across one, and it was for bronchitis. Now, now, guess what the three active ingredients were in this bronchitis medication. You, you, you'll never be able to guess. Really, was codeine one of them? <laughs> that would have been that would have been good. The three active ingredients were heroin, creosote, and strychnine. Can you can you imagine? But for anybody that doesn't know what they are, first first of all, heroin is not a real great medication to use on on any on anyone, you know, because because of the the, the OD possibilities. Yeah. But that was that was probably the best of the three ingredients. <laughs> Strychnine is is a horrible poison, 
And creosote is what you use to to warmanize your lumber for 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 if you're gonna if you're gonna use uh, lumber to build a, a deck. What they do yeah. is they they soak it in creosote. And if you get a splinter from those decks, you're in trouble because of the creosote. So I can't imagine eating it as a bronchitis remedy. Oh my goodness sakes! Well, you know, I'm glad I never heard of that <laughs> back back in the day. <laughs> but, you know, you can you can thank your lucky stars that uh, medication has improved since the early 40s. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, most stuff just takes rest and not being crazy and going back to work and overdoing it. But um, I, I get sick about once a year, really sick about once a year, and it's usually um, a couple of days before Thanksgiving, and I can't go wherever I wanted to go or whatever. But this year... It just happened to me um, this last couple of weeks, and uh, the bronchitis thing was. And and our our music uh, engineer Brad Hink, uh, he had it before I had it. So, but now it's now it's done. I believe. Good. I am glad. Yeah. I'm me glad too. that you're all healed up. <laughs> I've got to go to. Uh, I've got to. Uh, I get to go to uh, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, Sunday to speak at. Uh, the anniversary of Overcomers Outreach there in uh, in Tulsa, um, and I was tr- I was like, this will be the third time I've had to cancel on them. I said, I said, there's no way, you know, come heck or high water, I'm going to have to go. So I'm glad I'm well. <laughs> yeah. You know, another thing I I, I want to uh, want to announce before we get going yep. is um, I've had some I've had some mentors in my life as far as. The, the recovery process, the 12-step recovery process. I've had some really, really good mentors. You know, I didn't learn everything that I know, you know, by reading books. Uh, I, I had some people who really guided me and really helped me to have my own experience with this stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, probably the two people who were most uh, influential in my life for that uh, were Joe Hawk and Mark Houston. Uh-huh. So we lost uh, we lost Joe Hawk about, oh, I guess about six years ago. Right. Um, he had a heart attack while he was down in South America and that was that was pretty you know it was pretty brutal you know for for me to lose him he was yeah. really a good friend but um I got a call uh, 11 o'clock uh Thursday night and uh, uh so, someone from Texas was telling me that Mark Houston had passed away yeah. uh, he had a, an aortic aneurysm uh in a hospital in in uh, in Houston Texas and uh you know uh, I'm I ju- I'm just mentioning this because I owe such a debt of gratitude uh, mm-hmm. to 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 Mark and uh, and and Joe also uh, for uh, for where I am today. What you know the experiences that I've had, the recovery uh, that I've uh, I've been uh, exposed to and and have today in my life. And you know I, I feel very very badly about it, but uh, I you know I know they're both in a in a better place now. And, and what a what a great legacy for them to to uh, pass on, you know. Oh, that you know, yeah. they they both touched um, hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. across the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were t- they were both tireless in doing workshops uh, everywhere and uh, and always flying around. Uh, and Mark Houston had the Mark Houston Recovery Center, which is uh, which is a center that uh, I I actively try to promote when I can because um, it, it was and is uh, a very 
very amazing place to go to. Rather than treatment, uh, what you get is a recovery experience. And those are the t- just like the, just like there's the the big book movement going on uh, today in in, t- in the twelve step fellowships. In in treatment, there's the recovery movement, and mm-hmm. you know there are places that are sing- singling themselves out as recovery centers. There are places where you go and you get an actual um, an actual run through the steps, and and it's uh, you know ninety percent of the emphasis is on spiritual processes. And, and getting a connection to God, which is unfortunately not something that, that they get reimbursed for through the insurance companies. <laughs> it's funny, many, many times the things that the insurance companies will pay for don't work, and the things that work the insurance companies aren't interested in paying for. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but uh, be that as it may, he also was a forerunner in, uh, in the recovery center uh, movement. In, uh, in in the in the industry today, so um, you know, we owe him a, a double debt of gratitude, I believe, not only for his uh, his twelve step work, but for his professional uh, his professional work too. Well, and and, and Mark, uh, if if you can uh, pick up what we're saying, uh, much uh, much appreciation. Uh, I think I speak for all the people that you've touched. Uh, thank you so much, and and Joe Hawk as well, and. Uh, what a, what a great privilege to be able to sit at the the feet of our Creator and and have Him say to us, "Well done, good and faithful servant." True. Yeah. And yeah. believe me, He's saying that with those guys. Yeah, that's awesome. There's no doubt in my mind. Well, where are we? We left off uh, in the chapter two wives, and we left off we left off at a very crucial point. Yes. You know, again, uh, Bill Wilson is kind of pretending he's a wife and. And uh, na- narrating this chapter out, and that's that's kind of funny in and of itself. But it's an important chapter because it has a lot of material that one would benefit from if they're dealing with an alcoholic. Now, mm-hmm. I believe I believe that the information can be used by a sponsor. I believe it can be used by a wife. I believe it can be used by a husband, a family member, uh, you know, an employer, anything. What what it basically does is it gives you the information to be effective at making the decisions and having the behavior conducive to someone finding recovery. Yeah. You know, there are some things that we can do that, 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 you know, it can be enabling, it can be codependent. You know, in this chapter, it basically lays out a way where you can actually be helpful. So there's some important stuff in here. And what we're what we're about to read uh, is that is is we're going to start on the four categories of alcoholics uh, slash heavy drinkers. And this this is very interesting. Uh, again, one of the things that I believe uh, I believe we've really lost sight of in the twelve step fellowships, and we've even lost sight of it in the treatment industry itself, is how to categorize. Uh, the alcoholic. Where are they on the scale of alcoholism? In other words, you know, in, in, a ninth, in one of the ninth step promises, it says no matter how far down the scale you've gone, you'll find that your experience can benefit others. So there's a scale. You know, mm-hmm. some are sicker than others. Then there's another, uh, another great line in one of the earlier chapters that says your ability to quit on a non-spiritual basis will depend upon how much p- lack of power in drink, lack of choice in drink, you've had. So the scale isn't really how many cars you crashed or how, you know, how many years you spent in prison or how many jobs you lost. 
the scale is a scale of lack of power choice and control. And, you know, an alcoholic who's never gotten into any trouble and only drank at home, you know, can be worse off than somebody that's doing uh, doing 10 years for for multiple vehicular manslaughters. I mean, it's just, it's really true because it doesn't, the consequences are one thing. The consequences can happen to heavy drinkers. The consequences are one thing. But that, that scale of lack of power choice and control is very, very important for us to understand. And it's not something that's talked about very much uh, in meetings because it's become politically incorrect or whatever, whatever reasons. And it's not really uh, defined in treatment because there's no upside for a treatment center to, to, uh, to categorize you as, you know, uh, uh, an alcohol abuser or alcohol dependent. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's a paying customer and they need to treat everybody. Right. But if, but if you're moving into a 12-step recovery program, it's important for you to know where you are because that's going to that's gonna point to how much intensity, how much involvement you're going to have to have in this recovery process, in this 12-step deal. If you're in real trouble, if you've really gone down the scale of power, choice, and control, you need to get busy, and you need to get busy right away. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're if you're a type one, maybe you don't. And uh, we're, I'm going to start reading. And this is the bottom of page uh, 108, and I'm reading from a first edition. The problem with which you struggle usually falls uh, within one of four categories. He's now he's talking to a wife of an alcoholic. One. Your husband may only be a heavy drinker. Um, His drinking may become constant, or it may be heavy on certain occasions. Perhaps he spends too much money for liquor. It may be slowing him up mentally and physically, but he does not see it. Sometimes he is the source of embarrassment to you and his friends. He is positive that he can handle his liquor, that it does him no harm, that that drinking is necessary in his business. He would probably be insulted if he were called an alcoholic. This world is full of people like him. Some will moderate or stop altogether, and some will not. Of those who keep on, a good number will become true alcoholics after a while. So this is basically saying you can spend too much money, it can slow you up physically and mentally, Uh, you can be embarrassed because you get really drunk and do stupid things. But they're not saying that is an alcoholic. They're basically saying that this is a heavy drinker. Right. Okay. Uh, a lot of times in uh, in twelve step fellowships, uh, heavy drinkers, heavy drug users, a lot of them end up in the fellowships because of uh, an intervention of one kind or another, or, or maybe they just want to change their life, and somebody has pointed them uh, toward the rooms, you know, and and they'll show up. They don't necessarily have to work the steps the way an alcoholic does. They don't necessarily have to become consistent with meetings. A lot of times what will happen is they'll come around for a while and then slowly back away and then disappear and learn that they can stay stopped on their own willpower or they can even moderate, you know, and that happens, that happens quite often. That's, that's type one. Type two. Your husband is showing a lack of control, for he is unable to stay on the water wagon even when he wants to. He often gets entirely out of hand when drinking. He admits this is true, but is positive that he will do better. 
he has begun to try, with or without your cooperation, various means of moderating or staying dry. Maybe he is beginning to lose his friends. His business may suffer somewhat. He is worried at times and is becoming aware that he cannot drink like other people. He sometimes drinks in the morning and through the day also to hold his nervousness in check. He is remorseful after serious drinking bouts and tells you he wants to stop. But when he gets over the spree, he begins to drink once more. He begins to think once more that he can drink moderately next time. We think this person is in danger. These are the earmarks of the real alcoholic. Perhaps he can still tend to business fairly well. He has by no means ruined everything. As we say among ourselves, he wants to want to stop. This is probably the majority of the people that show up in the 12-step fellowships are somewhere between a type 1 and a, and a type 2. But let's just look at type 2. He's showing a lack of control. He can't quit even when he wants to. After, uh, after a binge, he'll come out of it and you know he'll, he'll want to stop, but then he'll convince himself that he's going to drink moderately the next time and he'll, st- he'll start drinking again. Sometimes he drinks in the morning and throughout the day <clears throat> to hold his nervousness in check. That nervousness is, in, is an actual detoxification from alcohol. You know that ang- that high level of anxiety is, yeah. is actual a, a part of a detoxing process, and they and they say we think this person is in danger. These are the earmarks of the real alcoholic. This is when you're becoming alcoholic when you start to show these signs. And the first and most important sign is you can't quit even be, even when you want to. That's really the main earmark of the alcoholic. Hey, Chris, Chris, let me ask you a question here. Uh, it's, sure. it's, it's interesting, uh, the wording is, uh, when you become, uh, you know, these are the signs that you're becoming an alcoholic. You know, we have this, and, and not that this matters so much, I don't think, but we have this school of thought that says that we were genetically predisposed to alcoholism, and then we have the school of thought that says we can develop alcoholism through abuse of alcohol. And, and of course, my my statement to that is, who cares? You know, <laughs> yeah. we just want to get sober. But what what do you just? What's your personal opinion on that? Do you do you think that it can be either way? I think I think we're we're predisposed. I, I yeah. think there's a there's a heavy genetic content. And what that genetic content leads to is how, we, how the relationship we have with alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, how we metabolize alcohol. Uh, I, I think it's it's uh, it's directly proportional to genetics. But to become alcoholic, there's some drinking that's usually involved. Yeah, you know, it, it, it would be very difficult to say I'm an alcoholic, but I've never had a drink. Um, you know, most most people wouldn't buy that argument, right? Uh, but there, but there, are, you know, there's some genetic studies, very very interesting, that are going on right now, and they're finding that there's not one alcohol alcoholic gene. There's something like sixty, but through the genome mapping uh, uh, process that's going on right now, uh, some clinicians have uh, uh, and researchers researchers have basically said that very very soon, if you want to pay for it. You can have your child tested, and they'll be able to predict fairly accurately whether or not, if they start drinking, they'll become alcoholic. You know, you know, they'll they'll go into full blown alcoholism. Uh, so, so I believe it's more genetic than, and and it's also it's also can be cultural. You, you know, yeah. Um, you look at you look at um, 
cultural studies or you know anthropological studies, you'll find that certain cultures have a very low uh, rate of alcoholism, and some have a very high rate of alcoholism. Look at the Eskimos or the Irish. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to have a really high level of alcoholism. But but look at some cultures in in uh, in South America or or uh, uh, Indochina, and you're, you're going to find that there's an incredibly low percentage of of alcoholism so it can be cultural but that but that cultural component i think ties back to genetics in a way that maybe we don't understand completely today yet. yeah uh, uh just because it's it's observable uh, but the but the fact of the matter is is you know whether you become alcoholic because your drinking gets out of control or you're out of control as soon as you start drinking my personal experience was i showed signs of alcoholism the first time i drank the mm-hmm. very first time I drank, I drank almost a bottle of whiskey, and I didn't mean to. I didn't plan to. Uh, I was going to have a couple of drinks with a friend, and the phenomenon of craving took over, and I drank as much as I could until I passed out. And and that was the pattern of my drinking from that day forward. I, there was very little ability for me to moderate. So. So I believe I had a heavy mm-hmm. genetic component right off the bat. I was uh, I was predisposed to alcoholism. All I had to do was put alcohol in my body, and I turned it on. But I see other people who drank relatively reasonably for a period of years. It just kind of progressed into alcoholism. So I think I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. Uh, I don't think uh, you know. I I, th- I think that there's. Uh, there's a spectrum where we can place ourselves, if we so choose, in in how alcoholism manifested in our lives, whether slowly or or whether quickly. But the fact of the matter is, is that once you are alcoholic uh, and you have crossed the line, there's very little hope of your recovery on your own unaided will. And that's really what this book is about. It's about okay, you're in trouble. You know, let let us tell you what we did. Yeah. get out of trouble. <laughs> and in this chapter, it's basically saying, okay, here, here, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what alcoholism is going to show up like. Pay attention to this, because if your husband is acting this way, he's this far gone, you know, yeah. is basically what's, what this is saying. And we can use this. We can use these uh, type 1, 2, 3, and 4s uh, uh, personally as people who have alcohol problems or who are alcoholic, we can find where we are in this. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm between a three and a four. Mm-hmm. So that means I need to be about the business of uh, practicing recovery principles in my life in a big way if I want to survive. Uh, I need to be par- participating in the recovery process that that unblocks me from the sunlight of the spirit, and I need to be about it every single day. Yeah. And this information helps me to conclude that, helps me then to ask God for the help, the strength and direction to do this work, and then and then start to participate in the things I need to participate in so that God can do God's job, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Well said. Okay, type three. This husband has gone much further than husband number two. Though once like number two, he became worse. His friends have slipped away. His home is in a near wreck, and he cannot hold a position. Maybe the doctor has been called in, and the weary round of sanitariums and hospitals or rehabs and detoxes has begun. He admits he cannot drink like other people, but he does not see why. 
He clings to the notion that he will yet find a way to do so. He may have come to the point where he desperately wants to stop, but cannot. His case presents additional questions which we, we shall try to answer for you. You can be quite hopeful of a situation like this. Now, why are they saying that? As the person gets worse, why are they saying you can be hopeful? I, I believe it's, it's, it's because the closer we get to a full concession of our powerlessness, mm-hmm. the closer we as alcoholics get to accurately assessing how much trouble we're in, the, the more enthusiasm and motivation we're going to have for practicing a recovery program that nobody wants to practice and few people even believe will work for them because they're so different. So, so uh, again, this, uh, his friends have slipped away. That happened to me. Uh, I didn't have any friends anymore. Uh, my home was in a near wreck. My home exploded and everybody left could not hold a position. I was becoming unemployable. Uh, the only reason I had a job was because I was in construction, and there was lots of alcoholics in construction, including my boss. Um, I started the weary round of sanitariums and hospitals. I had gone to outpatient. I had gone to inpatient. I had gone back to outpatient. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to show up at some support group meetings. Uh, uh, but, it, but you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, it was very, very difficult for me to realize that, you know, I am going to have to quit drinking for good and for all. That was a very, very difficult concept for me uh, to come up with. And I had all of the earmarks of the type three. Type four, you may have a husband of whom you completely despair. He has been placed in one institution after another. He is violent or appears definitely insane when drunk. Sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital or home from the detox or home from the rehab. Perhaps he has had delirium tremens. I had those. Doctors may shake their heads and advise you to have him committed. Maybe you have already been obliged to put him away. This picture may not be as dark as it looks. Many of our husbands were just as far gone, yet they got well. Okay, so the the worse you get, the worse you become, the more hope these early alcoholics, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous members have for you. Now, type four is not the the typical person that's showing up in the twelve step fellowships. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but but every once in a while, one will come in, and I need to say this, Monty. A lot of times, the groups, because they have so many type ones and type twos don't have the capacity to know how to deal with a type four. What will happen is that person will come to a few meetings and get a coffee commitment and, you know, <laughs> relapse. And then everybody, all the type ones and type twos will say, well, he just wasn't being honest, or, you know, he, he probably didn't want it enough, or, mm-hmm. you know, he, you know, stick with the winners, he's one of the losers, you know, you know and they, they won't understand, right. understand that type four needs to be about the business of the step absolutely pronto, 100% sense of urgency. We need, to, we need to get this person back to some power that can relieve this obsession to drink. And if, you, if you're not about that, if you're just telling them to not drink, go to meetings, keep coming back, you don't get it, it gets you, you're going to kill this, this guy. Yeah. He's a type four. You're going to kill him. And you won't even know that you're doing that. You'll, re, you, you have, you'll have a complete misunderstanding about what needs to happen with a type four because you're a type one and a type two and you've been able to stay sober just by going to meetings. 
that make any sense? A- absolutely. And, and unfortunately, and we've talked about this at length before, and I, and I probably won't ever get off my soapbox on it uh, because it is a matter of life and death. Uh, unfortunately, there is so much uh, compromise in um, the way this program is presented uh, outside the book. When I say outside the book, things people share without having the book in front of them. And, and it, it, it's killing people. And it, we said, we talked about one time, and I talked about this in my home group just the other day about, okay, if so-and-so keeps relapsing, and we're like, come on, man, after three years, don't you think you'd get this by now? But nobody's teaching what is in this book, literally. And so, really, whose whose fault is it? The poor alcoholic who's lost the the uh, ability to choose, or or his home group who's teaching a lie. Uh, you're 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 placing the responsibility of, of someone's success on the person who's powerless. Right. That makes <laughs> no that, sense. That, that's a complete ab- abdication of the principles <laughs> inherent in this in this book. This book is basically tells you if you don't handle this person right, he could die. And and again, um, you know, most of the fellowships have become so watered down that, that that's that's not a concept uh, that that's easily uh, assimilated in mm-hmm. some of these groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are plug in the jug groups. You know, just put the plug in the jug, and they don't realize that the type three and the type four are plugless. They don't have a plug. Yeah, a plug. You know they can't plug <laughs> the jug because they don't have a plug. Right. If you're powerless, that means you're you're plugless. So, uh, so again, there's a lot <laughs> like of misunderstanding it. out there, and, all, and way too many people die that really really shouldn't have to. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you're in a if you're in a group where you know you're a type one or type two, there's nothing wrong with that. If if the majority of the group are type ones and type twos, just understand that if somebody comes in and they've been in twelve treatment centers, and and they they haven't been able to put two weeks together in ten years, you are dealing with a type three or type four. Get them to somebody with the experience that'll be able to help them. And Get them to somebody who's been through these steps if you haven't. You know, you may not be the person uh, to help them, but at least at least try to get them to somebody who can. And how, and how dare we, really, how do we have the audacity to say, well, they really don't want it. This is for people that, that want it, not for people that need it. And because you keep going back out, you really don't want it. And, and, and not walk in their shoes and say that? Ugh. It, it, it's it, a misunderstanding. I yeah. don't think that the people are, you know, are are horrible people who say that. No. <laughs> I think that, how do you know what you don't know? And if you're right. a type 1 and a type 2, you have no experience with Right. with these levels of paralysis, so you don't understand it. You were able to just solve your problem by going to a few meetings every week. Why can't this guy, you know? And uh, and it's 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 a lack of education. You know, Bill, Bill Wilson said, I, I don't remember where this quote was from, but I think you can find it in the, lang- the language of the heart. It basically said, the sole purpose of an AA group is the teaching and the practice of the 12 steps. Okay? Right. So that's the sole purpose of a group. There's many groups that... You, you you would walk into and you would say, man, that ain't that's not what this group is doing, you know, uh, and and you know that's okay too, uh, that's fine. But when somebody shows up at your group who is who who needs a group that's sole purpose is the teaching and practice of the twelve steps, 
take them to it. You can usually find them in meeting books because they will say big book discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a hint. Usually the groups that are big book groups uh, are going to have people with experience to get somebody help who is a, you know, I, I had a guy call me up. I had a guy call me up um, uh, in the last couple of days. He can't stop drinking. He's been in treatment centers. He's going to detoxes. He's trying to hang on to his job. He's going to meetings, but he just can't stop drinking. You know, I, I am pointing to, I'm pointing him to some people who are experienced in his area who can help him. You know, and another thing that I do, I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of placement to, uh, for people into detoxes or treatment centers or recovery centers, you know, usually when I can. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it's kind of incumbent upon us to have answers. One of the, the statement of purpose, when, when, the, when someone reaches out uh, for the hand of AA, the hand of AA must always be there. That's not just, hey, here's my phone number, here's a meeting book, see you later. (laughs) The responsibility is much deeper than that, much deeper than that. Remember, these people brought type type threes and fours into their homes, you know, and and sometimes sometimes because of lack of ability to detox or lack of treatment centers, we, we we need to step up and do that today. Uh, you know, I I just I just had a guy in, in my house uh, for for several days, uh, you know, detoxing uh, under under uh, a doctor's uh, uh, and a, and an RN's you know observation. You know, right? Uh, so some, sometimes sometimes you need to need to step up. I mean, we 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 can't always abdicate our responsibilities. Sure. Let's now go back to husband number one. Oddly enough, he is often difficult to deal with. He enjoys drinking. It stirs his imagination. His friends feel closer over a highball. Perhaps you enjoy drinking with him yourself when he doesn't go too far. You have passed happy evenings together, chatting and drinking before your fire. Perhaps you both like parties which would be dull without liquor. We've enjoyed such evenings ourselves. We have had a good time. We know all about liquor as a social lubricant. Some, but not all of us, think it has its advantages when reasonably used. Uh, the first principle of success is that you should never be angry. Even though your husband becomes unbearable and you have, you have to leave him temporarily, you should, if you can, go without rancor. Patience and good temper are most necessary. That's one of the things that's very, very difficult uh, for family members to come up with. Our next thought is that you should never tell him what he must do about his drinking. If he gets the idea you are a nag or a killjoy, your, your chance of accomplishing anything useful may be zero. Mm-hmm. He will use that as an excuse to drink more. He will tell you he is misunderstood. This may lead to lonely evenings for you. He may seek someone else to console him, not always another man. Be determined that your husband's drinking is not going to spoil, spoil your relations with your children or your friends. They need your companionship and your help. It is possible to have a full and useful life, though your husband continue to, continues to drink. This is something that you see in uh, the, the family groups that absolutely amazes me. If a family group, 12, a 12-step family group member, is working a program, Monty, they can be in the midst of, uh, of, of, of an absolute hurricane of alcoholism and be able to keep their poise and their serenity. It, it, it truly is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We know women who are unafraid, even happy, under these conditions. 
Do not set your heart on reforming your husband. You may be, you may be unable to do so, no matter how hard you try. Um, you know, if if, um, if someone is beyond human aid, that means they're certainly beyond the the, the aid of a, a wife or a husband. Uh, the wife and the husband are not going to have the power to get the person uh, sober, but they can manipulate. Uh, they can manipulate the situation to lead toward the alcoholic getting sober. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We know these suggestions are sometimes difficult to follow, but you will save many a heartbreak if you can succeed in observing them. Your husband may come to appreciate your reasonableness and patience. This may lay the groundwork for a friendly talk about his alcoholic problem. Try to have him bring up the subject himself. Be sure you are not critical during such a, such a discussion. Attempt instead to put yourself in his place. Let him, let him see that you, are not, uh, you want to be helpful rather than critical. When a discussion does arise, you might suggest he read this book, or at least the chapter on alcoholism. Tell him you have been worried, though, perhaps needlessly. You think he ought to know the subject better, as everyone should have a clear understanding of the risks he takes if he drinks too much. Show him that you have confidence in his power to stop or moderate. Say you do not want to be a wet blanket, that you only want to help him take care of his health. Thus, you may succeed in interesting him in alcoholism. See, what they're trying to do is get the person ready to read the book. He probably has several alcoholics among his own acquaintance. You might suggest that both uh, you both take in an interest in, the, in them. Drinkers like to help other drinkers. Your husband may be willing to talk to one of them. If this kind of approach does not catch your husband's interest, it may be best to drop the subject. But after a friendly talk, your husband will usually revive the topic himself. This may take, a pa- may take patient waiting, but it will be worth it. Meanwhile, you might try to help the wife of another serious drinker. If you act upon these principles, your husband may stop or moderate. Suppose, however, that your husband fits the description of number two. The same principles which apply to husband number one should be practiced. But after his next binge, ask him if you would really like to get over drinking for good. Do not ask that he do it for you or anyone else. Uh, just would he like to do it? So up until this last paragraph, we've been talking about the type one, uh, which is basically the problem drinker or the heavy drinker. Right now they're start now they're starting to talk about how you handle somebody who shows a real lack of control, who actually wants at times to quit drinking but cannot. The chances are that he would. Uh, uh, would like to like to quit. Show him your copy of this book and tell him what you have found out about alcoholism. Show him that as alcoholics, the writers of the book understand. Tell him some of the interesting stories you have read. If you think he will be shy of a spiritual remedy, ask him to look at the chapter on alcoholism. Then perhaps he will be interested enough to continue. If he is enthusiastic, your cooperation will mean a great deal. If he is lukewarm or thinks he is not an alcoholic, we suggest you leave him alone. Avoid urging him to follow our program. The seed has been planted in his mind. He knows that thousands of men, much like himself, have recovered. But don't remind him of this after he had been drinking, for he may be angry. Sooner or later, you are likely to find him reading the book once more. Wait until repeated stumbling convinces him he must act, for the more you hurry uh, him, the longer his recovery may be delayed. Again, in the chapter, Working with Others, it basically says sometimes we need to wait for someone to go on a spree before we can approach him. 
Mm-hmm. Because not, nobody who's having a good time drinking, you know, or it's they think that it's working is going to be interested in this. But uh, I'll tell you what, uh, type two, three, and four. What happens is that they get into they get into real problems with their drinking. They do incredible, tragic things. Uh, they get to a point where they're humiliated, and they they start to despise the way they've been acting. And sometimes those are the times when uh, they can be uh, receptive mm-hmm. to offering uh, offering a hand. If you have a number three husband, you may be in luck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that. But let's just say that it's true. Uh, being certain he wants to stop, because the type three wants to stop, they just can't. Being certain he wants to stop, you can go to him with this volume as joyfully as though you had struck oil. He may not share your enthusiasm, but he is, pr- uh, he, he is practically sure to read the book, and he may go for the program at once. If he does not, you will probably not have long to wait. Again, you should not crowd him. Let him decide for himself. Cheerfully see him through more sprees. Talk about his condition or this book only when he raises the issue. In some cases, it may be better to let someone outside of the family present the book. They can urge action without arousing hostility. If your husband is otherwise a normal individual, your chances are good at this stage. Remember, it doesn't say in here, try to get him to a meeting. It does not say that. But Interesting. But the first thing most people try to do. It says, it says, leave him the book, because the book will show what you need to do to recover. A lot of times, if you show up a meet, at a meeting, you're, that's going to just confuse you. Right. Suppose that men in the fourth classification would be quite hopeless, but that is not so. Let, let me back up Any, just for a second, Chris. Sure. Uh, uh, I, and i got to hit this. I don't know whether to laugh or to cry when I read this part. Cheerfully see him through more sprees? Cheerfully? Yeah. Cheerfully? Yeah. <laughs> if you can. I mean, I mean you know... Uh, Frothy emotional appeal doesn't work. Suffice. No. Okay. But so, you don't want him to think you're happy about it. Well, well, you know, um, a, a good a good uh, family group, twelve step family group member, is not going to come down hard on the alcoholic. They're not going to enable the alcoholic, but they're going to see them as a sick person. Like like if someone was suffering from cancer in your family and they started vomiting and they got a little bit of vomit on the rug and, you know, they, they acted really grumpy the night before. I mean, would you sit there and yell at them and berate them the next day no, how they not. acted? You know, no. Man. So, you know, what this book is trying to, trying to urge is that we look upon these people as if they're sick. Not as if they're stupid or weak, but as if they're sick. So we cheerfully... So sometimes, sometimes, Monty, you, can, you know this from personal experience. Sometimes you need to be really sick to go to the doctor, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to be really sick before you go get those antibiotics. Right, yeah. right. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, pick, you're picking on me. Uh, yeah, well, I see what you're saying because you're, you're right. Um, in fact, uh, in, uh, in the fourth step where it talks about um, people that disturbed us, so we didn't like, you know, their actions, we didn't like how they disturbed us. It's, it talks about... we. Um, Cheerfully granting him, you know, what we would cheerfully give a sick friend and so forth. So right. there's, there's that word again. Uh, so I, I see what you're saying here now. I mean, you're not doing backflips saying, all right, let's have a cake because you're drunk. 
Um, you want me to go to the liquor store for you? No, no, no. You're, no. you're just, you're but, just, you're just, you try to, you know, you being cheerful as a family member mm-hmm. and not not the alcoholic, you should be cheerful anyway. I mean, it's your quality of life that mm-hmm. you're talking about. You know, why walk around, you know, sullen and resentful all the time? That's taking away from your quality of life. Right. But 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 with type three, if they really really want to stop, you know. Tell them there's a solution. There's a solution. Here's the book, and then let, you know, let them let them go with it for a little while. Let them, you know, let them let them come to the conclusion that maybe this will work for them, and then they might come back to you and, and say, you know, can you help me with this? Um, how do how do I move forward with this? And then you've you've pretty much got them. Uh, you've got them. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That's when you bring the boys over. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know this thing happens. This is this is um, this is so much better than a knee-jerk reaction of "I'm going to divorce you." You know, I mean, here and I understand that that happens, uh, and the family can be in grave danger if it, it doesn't happen, that kind of thing. But I always kind of poke fun at my friends who are having real struggle with their husbands or their wives, and I always tell them, you know. In uh, sickness and in health didn't mean the flu. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> you know, a- alcoholism is a sickness. It's an illness. Yeah. You know, you can debate till the cows come home that it's a disease if you want to. Yeah. But, uh, but li- li- listen, what it's, it's one of the only illnesses that people really think that somebody's doing it to themselves. And in a way, it is. It's a self-imposed crisis. That, but you cannot postpone it or evade it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're caught up in something that's, that's very, very uh, problematic. Yeah. And uh, um, uh, it, deserves, it deserves some sympathy. It deserves some understanding if you're, if you're a family member. But you need, you need to know that there are actions that you can take that, that are conducive to you know the right when the right time comes helping the person find their way into recovery yeah. not necessarily you know the meetings but into recovery and a lot of times you know you're going to end up in meetings if you're in recovery uh there's no doubt about that but you know this book was way more way more uh uh, uh, uh way more concerned with you finding someone who can take you through the steps than finding somebody that can take you to a meeting Right, and that's something that's really been lost in the last fifty years or so, and and it's a shame. I think I think a lot of people have died needlessly because of it. You would suppose that uh, that men in the fourth classification would be quite hopeless, but that is not so. Many of Alcoholics Anonymous were like that, including Bill and Bob. Everybody had given up on them. Defeat seemed certain. Yet often, such men had spectacular and powerful recoveries. There are exceptions. Some men have been so impaired by alcohol that they cannot stop. Uh, sometimes there are cases where alcoholism is complicated by other disorders. They call them co-occurring disorders today. A good doctor or psychiatrist can tell you whether these complications are serious. In any event, try to have your husband read this book. His reaction may be one of enthusiasm. If he is already committed to an institution, <laughs> you give him the book in Happy Hills. Uh, 
but can convince you and your doctor that he means business, give him, give him a chance to try our method, unless the doctor thinks his mental condition too abnormal or dangerous. In other words, if they've locked him up in an asylum and he reads this book and says, I want to try it, let him out of the asylum to try it, is what they're saying. <laughs> we make this recommendation with some confidence. For years, we've been working with alcoholics committed to institutions, principally Greystone in, in, uh, uh, in New Jersey. Since this book was first published, AA has released thousands of alcoholics from asylums and hospitals of every kind. The majority have never returned. The power of God goes deep. Yeah, amen to that. Reverse, what's that? I said amen to that. A- amen to that. Yeah. You may have the reverse situation on your hands. Perhaps you have a husband who is at large but who should be committed. Some men cannot or will not get over alcoholism. I love that. That's non-judgmental. They they cannot or they will not get over alcoholism. Okay, it's very judgmental. Either they cannot or they will not. Uh, those are the two reasons. So, um, when they become too dangerous, we think the kind thing is to lock them up. But of course, a good doctor should always be consulted. The wives and children of such men suffer horribly, but not more than the men themselves. But sometimes you must start in life anew. We know women who have done it. If such women adopt a spiritual way of life, their road will be smoother. If your husband is a drinker, you probably worry over what other people are thinking, and you hate to meet your friends. You draw more and more into yourself, and you think everyone is talking about conditions at your home. You avoid the subject of drink, drinking, even with your own parents. You do not know what to tell the children. When your husband is bad, you become a trembling recluse, wishing the telephone had never been invented. <laughs> we, we find the, that most of this embarrassment is unnecessary. While you need not discuss your husband at length, you can quietly let your friends know, know the nature of his illness. But you must be on guard not to embarrass or harm your husband. When you have carefully explained to such people that he is a sick person, you will have created a new atmosphere. Barriers which have sprung up between you and your friends will disappear with the growth of sympathetic understanding. You will no longer be self-conscious or feel that you must apologize as though your husband were a weak character. He may be anything but that. Your new courage, good nature, and lack of self-consciousness will do wonders for you socially. You know, that's a great attitude to have. I, I, I wish I could say that after 75 years... Uh, you know, this book has been around about 70 of them. I wish I could say that society at large uh, understands alcoholism the way it's being explained here, but they don't. You know, there's been very slow growth. The, the National Council on Alcoholism, NCADD, started by Marty Mann, who was one of the, the first women to stay sober in AA. Its basic, uh, its basic uh, objective was to uh, eliminates the stigma of alcoholism. Unfortunately, I can honestly say that that task has only just begun after mm-hmm. all these years. There is still so much stigma, so much discrimination occurring around alcoholism and alcoholics. The same principle applies in dealing with the children. Unless they actually need protection from their father, it is best not to take sides in any argument he has with them while drinking. Use your energies to promote a better understanding all around. Then that terrible tension which grips the home of every problem drinker will be lessened. Frequently, you have felt obliged to tell your husband's employer and his friends that he was sick when, uh, as a matter of fact, he was tight or really hungover. 
Avoid answering these inquiries as much as you can. Whenever possible, let your husband explain. Your desire to protect him should not cause you to lie to people when they have a right to know where he is and what he is doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's, that's part of not enabling. Discuss this with him when he is sober and in good spirits. Ask him what you should do if he places you in such a position he can. But be careful not to be resentful about the last time he did so. There is another paralyzing fear. You may be afraid your husband will lose his position. You are thinking of the disgrace and hard times which will befall you and the children. This experience may come to you, or you may already have had it several times. Should it happen again, regard it in a different light. Maybe it will prove a blessing. It may convince your husband he wants to stop drinking forever, and now you know that he can stop if he wants to. Time after time, this apparent calamity has been a boon to us, for it opened up a path which led to the discovery of God. You know, the worst thing I experienced the last time I was drinking, Monty, and it was absolutely an awful experience. It was probably the best thing that happened to me, because it kept me moving. Mm-hmm. It kept me moving into this recovery process with, with every ounce of fiber I had. So that awful, awful thing ended up being something very, very good. Yeah. We have elsewhere remarked how much better life is when lived on a spiritual plane. If God can solve the age-old riddle of alcoholism, he can solve your problems, too. How about that for mm. a problem? Yeah, because we're, we're, all, we're always saying, you know, I do this and this and this and this, and that's in my sobriety. Yeah. You know, my so, alcoholic thinking yeah. you know, made me do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my alcoholic tendencies. Well, look at this promise. If God can solve the age-old rule of alcoholism, he can solve your problems, too. How, yeah. about, how about if that's true? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's pretend that it's true, Monty, just for the sake of argument, and go through these steps. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, what's it going to do? Is it going to take your birthday away? You know, <laughs> try it and be. You, don't, you you've met and I and I've met people that just are bucking against the system. They keep coming to meetings, but they just don't. I'm thinking of one guy right now. Well, I just don't want to do these steps. I think I can do it without these steps by listening to you guys and blah 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 blah. And I just don't know if I want to find God. I'm not sure. You know, and just don't want to. Now nah, I'm not interested. It's like okay. You keep coming back in here, though. Is it going to kill you? There's nothing in here that is is going to harm you, you know. And so I, I'm like, but I, I remember back in the days when I was like, you know, I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to do what I don't want to do, and you're not going to tell me any different. But something... You know, maybe, and maybe he's a type 1 or not yeah. too far gone type 2. But isn't it interesting, he though? With, maybe he can get away with just that. It so. seems like God's God's power and God's spirit keep drawing us back. And I think there's got to be a reason for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we wives found that, like everybody else, we were afflicted with pride, self-pity, vanity, and all the things which uh, go to make up the self-centered person. And we were not above selfishness or dishonesty. As our husbands began to apply spiritual principles in their lives, we began to see the desirability of doing so too. 
This was a family program of mm-hmm. recovery back in the day. They wanted the wives and the children and everybody to take the steps through the morning prayer and meditation, you know, uh, be, be part of the team that helps other alcoholics uh, uh, recover. You know, that, that was the whole point of, uh, of the early groups. At first, some of us did not believe we needed this help. We thought, on the whole, we were pretty good women, capable of being nicer if our husbands stopped drinking. But it was a silly idea that we were too good to need God. Now we try to put spiritual principles to work in every department of our lives. When we do that, we find it solves our problems, too. The ensuing lack of fear, worry, and hurt feelings is a wonderful thing. We urge you to try our program, for nothing will be so helpful to your husband as the radically changed attitude toward him, which God will show you how to have. Go along with your husband if you possibly can. So for anybody out there who wants to know what is the single most important thing or the best thing that you can possibly do to help your alcoholic family member, it it says we urge you to try our program. Okay, and the way to do that now is to go into the family groups, or you know, there's there's, a, there's families anonymous, there's Al Anon, there's a number of things, but what, but don't just show up at the meetings. Find a sponsor that'll take you through the steps. Right, that's the best thing you can do to help your alcoholic family member. Chris, I've heard it said, uh, and I don't think this is necessarily in any any of the literature, but I've heard it said that that. Um, not all codependents are alcoholic, but all alcoholics are codependent. What do you think about that? <laughs> you know, it would, it would depend on the definition of codependent. I suppose I mean, so. <laughs> I mean, you know, alcoholics show a whole spectrum of behavioral disorders yeah. of, one, of one kind or another. And, you know, depending on, you know, how you, how you define uh, codependency mm-hmm. and, you know, the clinical definitions of it. It, it may, it may, or it, it, it may not be true. Yeah, and I don't know if you even need to know it, whether it, you are or not. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, being 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 codependent. Uh, my definition of it is being attached to the behavior of others in an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. Sure, and you know, certainly, um, certainly. Uh, uh, the family members are usually uh, are usually suffering from a little bit of that. Yeah. The alcoholic suffers from it. I suffered from it by being tragically attached to the image I thought I had. You know, I was hugely embarrassed and hugely self-conscious about so many things in my life. And I didn't really need to be. I mean, I was suffering from an illness. I, I mean, think about think about how people hang their heads when when they come back into a support group meeting after relapsing. They want to kill themselves. They feel like they're such failures. And really, you know, the only thing that I think they're guilty of is not paying close enough attention to this spiritual process. Mm. And there's all kinds of reasons, you know, out there why they they didn't. Sometimes they weren't even exposed to decent recovery, uh, decent recovery process. But again, it, you know, it's an illness, and all the emotional turmoil that we all put ourselves through is kind of optional. And I've found personally that, you know, by going through the steps, I can become free of all of that. The bondage of self it talks about, you know, being so totally, you know, uh, encumbered by by all, all the feelings of pride and, and self-esteem and and shame and guilt and remorse and anxiety and all those other things. I, I found I, I personally found relief in all those, you know, from 
directly from the power of God after going through the step. And uh-huh. well, that's my my per- personal witness. Sure. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you and your husband find a solution for the pressing problem of drink, you are, of course, going to be very happy. But all problems will not be solved at once. Seed has started to sprout in a new soil, but growth has only begun. In spite of your newfound happiness, there will be ups and downs. Many of the old problems will be with you. This is as it should be. The faith and sincerity of both of you and your husband will be put to the test. These workouts should be regarded as part of your education, for thus you will be learning to live. You will make mistakes, but if you are in earnest, they will not drag you down. Instead, you will capitalize them. A better way of life will emerge when they are overcome. So there are going to be hard times ahead. Everything isn't going to be great. But Bill sees that as a as an educational process. He, he sees it as growing pains, the things that we go through. Some of the snags you will encounter are irritation, hurt feelings, and resentments. Your husband will sometimes be unreasonable, and you will want to criticize. Starting from a speck on the domestic horizon, great thunderclouds of dispute may gather. These family uh, dissensions are very dangerous, especially to your husband. Often you must carry the burden of avoiding them or keeping them under control. Never forget that resentment is a deadly hazard to an alcoholic. We do not mean that you have to agree with your husband whenever there is an honest difference of opinion. Just be careful not to disagree in a resentful or critical spirit. Mm. These are, you know, these are good principles for a sponsor to have. These are yeah. good principles for any of us to have. You and your husband will find that you can dispose of serious problems easier than you can the trivial one. Next time you and he have a heated discussion, no matter what the subject, it should be the privilege of either to smile and say, this is getting serious. I'm sorry I got disturbed. Let's talk about it later. If your husband is trying to live on a spiritual basis, he will also be doing everything in his power to avoid disagreement or contention. Your husband knows he owes you more than sobriety. He wants to make good. Yet you must not expect too much. His ways of thinking and doing are the habits of years. Patience, tolerance, understanding, and love are the watchword. Show him these things in yourself, and they will be reflected back to you from him. Here's a, here's a, here's a really good, Chris, here's, here's a really good thing that I heard, heard from Caroline Preston. She says that her and her husband, who are both in recovery, her and her husband have a... Uh, uh, um, a covenant between each other that when they get into an argument, whoever is the most sane at the time will stop and pray. Uh-huh. I love that. Whoever's the most sane at the time. Now, I guess you get into a fight of who, who's most sane, <laughs> but, but you've got to, I think you've got to have that. Uh, somebody's got to say, let's, let's stop here. Let's talk about it later. This is getting serious. Somebody needs to, otherwise this thing could go on and fester and end up in a terrible mess later. Oh, ab- absolutely. You know? That's a great principle. You know, there are steps, there are principles, there are prayers in this book. Where we, where we learn to apply them, where we actually learn to apply them, we get really, really positive results in our life. You want really positive results in your life? Uh, learn how to apply these principles, prayers, Steps and, prom- and and you'll get all the promises. You just really will. Mm-hmm. Live and let live is the rule. If you both show a willingness to remedy your own defects, there will be little need to criticize each other. We women carry with us a picture of the ideal man, 
the sort of chap we would like our husbands to be. It is the most natural thing in the world, once his liquor problem is solved, to feel that he will now measure up to that cherished vision. The chances are that he will not, for like yourself, he is just beginning his development. Be patient. Another feeling we are very likely to entertain is one of resentment that love and loyalty could not cure our husband of, of alcoholism. We do not like the thought that the contents of a book or the work of another alcoholic <laughs> accomplished in a few weeks that for which we struggled for years. At such moments, we forget that alcoholism is an illness over which we could not possibly have had any power. Your husband will be the first to say it was your devotion and care which brought him to the point where he could have a spiritual experience. Without you, he would have gone to pieces long ago. When resentful thoughts come, try to pause and count your blessings. After all, your family is reunited, alcohol is no longer a problem, and you and your husband are working toward, um, uh, together toward an undreamed-of future. Mm. Still, another difficulty is that you may become jealous of the attention he bestows on other people, especially alcoholics. You have been starving for his companionship, yet he spends long hours helping other men and their families. You feel he should now be yours. The fact is that he should work with other people to maintain his own sobriety. Sometimes he will be so interested that he becomes really neglectful. Your house is filled with strangers. You may not like some of them. He gets stirred up about their troubles, but not at all about yours. It will do little good if you point, out, point that out and urge more attention for yourself. We find it a real mistake to dampen his enthusiasm for alcoholic work. You should join in his efforts as much as you possibly can. We suggest that you direct some of your thought uh, to the wives of his new alcoholic friends. They need the counsel and love of a woman who has gone through what you have. It is probably true that you and your husband have been living too much alone, for drinking many times isolates the wife of an alcoholic. Therefore, you probably need fresh interests and a great cause to live for as much as your husband. If you cooperate rather than complain, you'll find that his ex excess enthusiasm will tone down. Both of you will awaken to a new sense of responsibility for others. You, as well as your husband, ought to think of what you can put into life instead of how much you can take out. Inevitably, your lives will be fuller for doing so. You will lose the old life to find one much better. Mm -hmm. Perhaps your husband will make a fair start on the new basis, but just as things are going beautifully, he dismays you by coming home drunk. If, here's, a, here's a great qualifier. If you are satisfied he really wants to get over drinking, you need not be alarmed. Though it is infinitely better that he have no relapse at all, as has been true with many of our men, it is by no means a bad thing in some cases. Your husband will see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive. And again, Monty, this is, this is what anyone should do who relapses. They need to redouble their spiritual activity. Yeah. You need not remind him of his spiritual deficiency. He will know of it. Cheer yeah. him up and ask him if you can still be more helpful. The slightest sign of fear or intolerance may lessen your hu husband's chance of recovery. In a weak moment, he may take your dislike of his high-stepping friends as one of those insanely trivial excuses to drink. We never, never try to arrange a man's life so as to shield him from temptation. The slightest disposition on your part to guide his appointments or his affairs, though he will not be tempted, will be noticed. Make him feel absolutely free to come and go as he likes. This is important. 
If he gets drunk, don't blame yourself. God has either removed your husband's liquor problem, or he has not. If not, it had better be found out right away. Then you and your husband can get right down to fundamentals. If a repetition is to be prevented, uh, place the problem along, uh, along with everything else in God's hands. We realize that we've been giving you much direction and advice. We may have seemed to lecture. If that is so, we are sorry, for we ourselves don't always care for people who lecture us. But what we have related is based upon experience, some of it painful. We had to learn these things the hard way. That is why we are anxious that you understand and that you avoid these unnecessary difficulties. So to you out there who may soon be with us, we say, good luck and God bless you. And that's the chapter to wives. Ah, boy, I keep cracking. I keep thinking to myself, I crack up a little bit when I reflect on this and I read things like We Women and, and so forth and so forth. Uh, knowing that that Bill is placing himself behind the eyes of the wives. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's probably one of the reasons why the Al-Anon family groups has not uh, approved the big book as conference-approved literature for their fellowship. There's mm-hmm. a lot of dispute in the fam in the family groups because of that. Some groups are big book groups and they're mad, you know, because other groups don't want them to use the big book group. There's a lot of a lot, of, a lot of controversy in, uh, in Al-Anon right now because of all of that. But, um, you know, upon reading this chapter where he, he takes the liberties of becoming a wife, uh, I guess that could that probably could annoy <laughs> <laughs> some of the family group members. But I'll tell you what, all those principles are very, very powerful and, and very proper and appropriate uh, to use. And I can see, I can see where, excuse me, uh, the alcoholic uh, man or woman, Reading this, uh, for instance, if if I had read this earlier on in my recovery, I think it would have helped me respect and understand where my non-alcoholic Al-Anon wife was coming from. You know, not just not just the other way around, but it would help me respect uh, what she's going through, too. And I think that's why it is so important, folks, do not avoid this chapter just because you're not a wife. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. All right, Chris. Well, very good. Next week we're going to be uh, in the chapter, Chapter 9, The Family Afterwards. And uh, we've talked about the wife, the spouse, and now we're going to be talking about the family. And uh, more more great stuff uh, to come uh, in this wonderful study, Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder. Uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You can email us. Here at Take 12 Radio at Comcast.net. And you can always call 541-926-5806. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Monty. I really enjoyed it tonight. All right, my friends. Don't forget to check out all the other shows here at Take12Radio.com. And until next week, when we continue to walk through the big book, this is the Monty Man and Chris Schroeder wishing God's serenity. For you. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>